0: Welcome to the show and we're so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And today we're going to be responding to Professor Matt McCormick of the Department of Philosophy at California State University as he responds to what he thinks William Lane Craig has to say about the Kalam. It's going to be fun.
1: So it doesn't appear that the Kalam argument has proven omnipotent. So what?
2: The argument doesn't aspire to prove those things. Craig has disqualified
1: the Kalam argument from serious rational consideration, given his prior commitment to one and only one conclusion.
2: The problem with this objection is that even if I were a hypocrite, uh, there's just no relationship between the soundness of an argument and the psychological state of the person propounding it. So what? So what? So what?
0: Okay, let's jump right into the uh, discussion.
3: Of the Kalam, the long-debunked... It was debunked a million years ago. I can't believe that you still trot out the Kalam because some kid on the internet debunked it.
0: Yeah, and the thing that's uh, frustrating, honestly, here, and the reason that I wanted to do this video, um, I know that putting... uh, I know that this may not get a lot of interest because we've talked about the Kalam quite a bit on this channel and Matt McCormick is not necessarily known as being a he's not a real well-known YouTuber but that's kind of the point I wanted to show that um, some of the mistakes that we are used to seeing in the YouTube community that have to do with the Kalam cosmological argument um, are actually taking place among full professors in philosophy departments at universities. Uh, This happened not with the column, with my philosophy professor at uh, Milton, NC State University, but it did happen with the ontological argument. Um, So this this happens. Just because someone happens to be a full professor at some university somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that they understand the topic that they're talking about to the degree that we would hope if they're going to instruct students. And unfortunately, and what's really damaging about this, Jonathan, that really upsets me is, is you've got uh, a guy like this uh, teaching students, okay, here's this argument that these uh, Christians use, and uh, we're going to get into why Christians specifically as we move forward, but here's this argument that Christians use, and let's look at let's look at why it falls apart is basically yeah. what's going on. And, and, it, and,
3: of course, the reason why we keep using it is like you said in the debate with Dillahunty. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It hasn't fallen apart yet, and this guy's objections do nothing to... You're upset about—not upset, but what was your— brand? No, I'm upset. You're upset. I think I can say upset. Now, this doesn't surprise me. I mean, not mad
0: at him, but upset that this kind of thing is happening. Yeah,
3: I, I get it, but this is what you expect from philosophy professors at secular universities, especially— california universities this is i i when when you showed me this video i was like yeah that's par for the course for a philosophy professor
0: uh at a california university
3: and i want to stress california so the
0: thing that that um you know what
3: you call a christian in california
0: what's that a missionary the the thing about this is this debunking that we often hear about where are we going to get the best debunking of the kalam if we're looking for the Kalam to get debunked where are we going to look what's the top shelf Let's go to a philosophy professor at a university. university you're going to go. You're going to go look for a philosophy professor at a at a major university. Mm-hmm. Someone in the philosophy department who's representing themselves not just as someone who has a hobby interest in this, but someone who is, uh, at a, you know, a professional working in the field. Mm-hmm. And so, for all of you out there who think that the Kalam has been thoroughly debunked, I'm going for the cream of the crop right now, and we're going to find out what this debunking really looks like. And
3: I, and I do want to say this. This is the cream of the crop for a secular philosophy professor from California universities.
0: All right, let's take a look. Now, he's he's introduced basically what he says up to this point in the video. This is like a 19-minute video. It would take us all day if we went through all of it. But but to this point in the video, is basically done Is he said, look, there's this guy, William Lane Craig. He's championed this argument, the Kalam cosmological argument. We're going to look at some objections that come from Craig's interlocutors is what he says. So, so he has, he, he's not just talking about the column in general, he's referencing Craig. We're looking at like the way Craig argues it, the people that Craig's dealt with, the objections they've given. So bear that in mind. Why is that important? Because what we're going to do is we're going to also look in a few moments at what Craig has to say about how he uses the argument and see if it gels with what uh, Matt McCormick has to say. So let's listen to the first of these objections.
1: So first off, Contrary to premise one, there do appear to be phenomena such as quantum events that come into being without being caused. That is sometimes something does come from nothing. And the question that Craig's going to have, of course, is, Could the whole universe have come from nothing? And in fact, some physicists are saying yes. Lawrence Krauss, for example, a preeminent physicist from Arizona State University, he says yes. And you might also take a look at his video in our video project's assignments. But here's a recent book of his, A Universe from
0: Nothing.
3: Uh, Universes don't come from nothing because Lawrence Krauss has never actually described actual nothing before.
0: Yeah, well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, what about the uh, quantum issue? Um, I've been reading some stuff on quantum physics here lately because just, just trying to keep up with what's going on. And, um, th- yeah, there's something weird that happens. There's no question. Quantum superposition, when it's observed by an outside observer, um, it, the wave function collapses and you have a particular location where otherwise it seems to be all over the place, right? Um, you can tell you've just been looking at that's, that's not something that, that is just coming from... That's not something coming from nothing. Uh, The quantum fluctuations is not nothing. That's information. There's information. There's space for it to take place in. There's all kinds of things going on there that is not nothing. And um, what Lawrence Krauss is is well known for is describing nothing as though it were something. In fact, since we're talking about Craig, one of my favorite... examples, he says, is, is uh, you know, nothing stopped the German assault, you know, talking about World War II, nothing stopped their advance. It's like, and someone responding, oh, thank God, Thank God nothing was there to stop the German advance. No, 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 this is not good. Nothing stopped the German advance, right? Uh, That's how we use the term nothing. Nothing means not anything. Nothing does not mean something that has properties and all these other kind of things. In fact, since we're talking about Craig Jonathan, let's go ahead and hear what Craig has to say in his discussion with Lawrence Krauss from a few years ago. Let's listen to what he has to
2: say. How astonishing then to find that some contemporary popularizers of science whose mother tongue is English have used these terms precisely as substantive terms of reference. They've told us with a straight face, for example, that there are a variety of forms of nothing and they all have physical definitions. The laws of quantum mechanics tell us that nothing is unstable. 70% of the dominant stuff in the universe is nothing. There's nothing there, but it has energy. Nothing weighs something, and nothing is almost everything. All of these claims take the word nothing to be a substantive term referring to something.
0: By the way, that was Lawrence Krauss that they showed a picture of, that he was showing a picture of while he was reading those quotes. Uh, I want you to hear what he says next, though, because it is extremely telling. Since the good professor recommended Krauss's book, we really need to get this quote from Krauss out that Craig's going to lay on us.
2: For example, the quantum vacuum or quantum mechanical systems. These are physical realities and therefore clearly something. To call these realities nothing is at best misleading, bound to mislead and confuse lay people, and at worst, a deliberate misrepresentation of science. Such statements do not even begin to address, much less answer, Leibniz's question as to why there is something rather than nothing. Now, I think that Dr. Krauss really knows he's not talking about nothing. He just pretends to be talking about nothing. In a dialogue at the Australian National University, he candidly admitted that the question, why is there something rather than nothing, sounds like a religious question, but, and I quote, I use it to sneak in modern cosmology, which is what he really wants to talk about. This is most unfortunate Modern cosmology is fascinating enough, in its own right, that we don't need to try to sneak it in by having it masquerade as an answer to a philosophical question, like Leibniz's. So,
0: anyway, so what we have here is Craig himself giving you, uh, from his discussion with Lawrence Krauss, What Krauss is talking about and describing as nothing is not nothing. Nothing is not anything. It has no powers, no possibilities, no potentialities, uh, no properties, and yet— uh, There's
3: no P in it, right? Cro- that cro- that's saying? right.
0: A cross is ha- nothing has all of these things. Yes, nothing can do all kinds of things. But that's not what we mean when we say nothing. We mean not anything. And when we're talking about the kalam, that's the concept we need to have in mind: is not anything, because th- because that's a very material, uh, you know, realm that's being described as nothing, and that material realm is what we're trying to explain with or what we're trying to find, figure out about, where did it come from?
3: So, so Dr. McCormick, the self-loathing philosopher from uh, California, um, he bought into Krauss's error. It sounds post-modern like postmodern relativism with respect to words, right? Um, which, I don't know, maybe McCormick is a continental philosopher and words don't have to matter, which means his videos are relevant, but uh, I don't think that he would say that. But I don't know. I don't I don't know this uh, Dr. McCormick, but apparently he's bought into Krauss's redefinition of terms. So
0: we'll forgive you, Dr. McCormick, if you will send us that Boba Fett rocket
3: and atheist philosophers to, to if you want to continue to be relevant, you ought to get some backbone instead of letting the scientists think for you. All right. Um, And I'll
1: leave that uh, pursuit of that question for some outside work for you. Uh, Next, does the first cause of the universe need to be omnipotent? That is, would bringing about the Big Bang require omnipotence? And at first glance, it sure seems like the answer would be yes, given...
0: Uh, Craig's doesn't claim that now there are actually, if you look at the journal articles, there are actually... Uh, philosophers who are theists now, arguing that uh, perhaps from an augmented understanding of the Kalam, we could get to omnipotence and omniscience, but Craig never claimed that his argument would get you to omnipotence. And it would be, as we're going to see, Craig says this in a little bit, it would be a really strange form of atheism that says there is a personal creator, and he's powerful enough to begin the universe, but we don't want to call him omnipotent. That would be a really weird form of atheism, right? right? But, no, but Craig never claims that the Kalam gets you to omnipotence or omniscience. So um, I, I don't know where, where he gets this.
1: And the massive amount of, uh, uh, of energy, the, the uh, complexity, um, uh, the enormity of the Big Bang, it seems like we'd say, well, you'd have to be omnipotent to bring something about like that. But let's consider these two possibilities imagine some being has the has a power the ability to bring about only our big bang and nothing else versus a being has the ability to bring about our big bang and infinitely many other big bangs or possible universes now from our side it would be invisible which one of these beings was responsible that is the kalam argument only seems to require a but B power is greater than A, so it doesn't appear that the Kalam argument has proven omnipotent. Uh,
0: As far as I'm concerned, the way I use the Kalam, the way Craig uses the Kalam, granted. Uh, Yes, if you have a being that's only powerful enough to create one universe, like ours, versus one that can create an infinite number, yeah, that would be a more powerful one. And um, I believe that God is maximally powerful. But on the basis of the Kalam, all we need to say is, like you said rightly a moment ago, sufficiently powerful. The kalam, the kalam gets you to a spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise. Look, I don't even say omniscient. Exceedingly wise mind. Why does it need to be exceedingly wise? Well, because it's going to have to be able to create the universe such that it works, right? Yeah. And the universe is a bit complicated. Yeah, does the
3: first cause need to be omnipotent? No. It was never claimed to be. So, But again, it's a separate question of do you believe that God is omnipotent, and does the Kalam require an omnipotent cause?
0: Right. And so he's, this is, this is the, now I'm not saying that he intended this. I'm not saying that he knew what he was doing. Um, It doesn't seem that he did, but this is a straw man. Yeah, in philosophy. Intentional or unintentional.
3: In philosophy classes, I don't know if Dr. McCormick knows this in California, but in philosophy classes elsewhere, this is called a straw man and also a red herring. But then again, California.
1: Now the same thing goes for omniscience. Is omniscience required?
0: No, not for the Kalam. We don't get omniscience from the Kalam, but we get wise enough to create the universe. Well, no, you
3: don't. There's not God in the conclusion, so you don't
0: get God either. (laughs) Right uh that i have a video on that, that i know we'll link in the I'm, description i'm
3: just i'm just doing bumper sticker yeah the typical thing is
0: in. and i'm going to get this on this video the here's word, another example yeah. did you watch the video if if you say the phrase if someone says the phrase in the comments without mentioning that i made this comment right now then it means you didn't that person did not watch the video right, right? and here is the comment that i'm going to make pritchett is right they say things like uh look in the kalam itself Um, everything that begins to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe must have a cause. God is not mentioned anywhere, not in the premises nor in the conclusion. That's right. But then comes the conceptual analysis, and every time, like ever, that a Christian apologist raises the Kalam, they follow it with the conceptual analysis. And the example I give for this, uh, the, 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 the nitpickery that goes on about that point, that God is not mentioned in the premises or the conclusion, is like if I said cigarettes are dangerous, Pritchett. And you're like, well, now hold on a second. There are thousands of cigarettes within a block of where we are right Mm -hmm. now, and they're not hurting me. In fact, if I had a box of cigarettes sitting on the desk right now in front of us, they wouldn't be hurting me. And even if I pulled one out and lit it and held it in my hands, it wouldn't be hurting me. You've got to follow the claim that cigarettes are dangerous with... Um, if you inhale the smoke through the filter into your lungs and that interacts with your physical body in such a way that it could allow carcinogens to impact you negatively Over but time. nobody says that what do we say cigarettes, cigarettes are dangerous, is dangerous and nobody gives us a problem about it right. what we're saying about the kalam is the kalam is a powerful argument for god's existence oh but god's nowhere mentioned in the premises or the conclusion that's right but every time the kalam is ever mentioned it is followed by a conceptual analysis. Yes. Now, to be fair, whenever I raise the Kalam, I always say a case that begins with the Kalam causes. But you know what? Order. You
3: don't have to say cigarettes cause cancer anymore. Even the tobacco companies figured out and admitted that cigarettes, they were the last people to do it, but at least they... Yeah. Uh, so, so you know what? we If you want to be an intelligent atheist, you can... We don't have to say cigarettes cause cancer anymore and all of that stuff. Just do the conceptual analysis.
0: But... Omniscience is, do do we get omniscience from the Kalam? Again, there are people working on that and there are journal articles where guys are arguing that, but the way Craig uses it, no. And guess what? It wasn't intended to, and that's fine. But again, it'd be a strange Mm -hmm. kind of atheism that says God is wise, uh, there's a mind that is wise enough, spaceless, timeless, non material, sufficiently powerful, and wise enough to begin the universe, but not omniscient. We want to make clear that it's not omniscient. That'd be very strong. Just shy of it, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Must the first cause be uh, omniscient? At first at first glance, we might think that the vastness and complexity of the universe might entail infinite knowledge in its creator. But again, consider two levels of knowledge. Here we go again. Uh, one, possessing only the minimal knowledge necessary to create the universe This is why he has a long video. Versus because he's possessing the all the knowledge to create any possible universe. But now neither, again, clearly anyway. B is greater than A but the Kalam conclusion only requires A. Therefore, the Kalam argument doesn't demonstrate omniscience either. And we might ask, as long as we're on the question, how does God have knowledge without a brain? That is, I don't think typically on theistic views, people think that God actually possesses a brain. And the reason I ask is because every example of a creature with knowledge that we know of has a brain as a physical substrate in which it's embedded. So does God have a
0: brain? And if so, where is it? I don't think people think he does. Okay, now this is actually a, a pretty interesting question.
3: Yeah, does God have knowledge without a brain? Does God have a brain? Um, no. Uh, God does not have a brain, but I actually, uh, you know what? A corpse still has a brain, but it doesn't have any knowledge either. It's just a corpse, because uh, he's begging the question about uh, naturalism and, and, and um, rejecting dualism and thinking that minds don't exist where knowledge is. not saying that knowledge isn't stored somewhere on, on a thing, but, but minds have knowledge. Yeah, I, Even know, Facebook recognizes substance dualism. Facebook doesn't ask you what's on your brain when you log in. It asks you what's on your mind. It presupposes substance dualism.
0: Yeah, that adds, you're right. There is a presupposing of naturalism and, and, uh, and a rejection of substance dualism. Uh, you know, a real simple response to this would be the Kalam cosmological argument is not only an argument for the existence of God, it's also an argument for the existence of a non-material mind or a mind mm. independent of a physical body. Right. Because we know, uh, if you're familiar with the Kalam, it gets you to a spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise mind. Why does it need to be personal? Why does it need to be a personal agent, a mind? Well, as I've said elsewhere, um, in a spaceless, timeless state, uh, there was no determinism to work on the first cause. And... And even if you wanted to say, well, it's ran- it, would, it could be random and we'd wrote a salt in a universe, there was no time or space for randomness to occur. So from a spaceless, timeless state with no prior determinism, it would have to have libertarian freedom. And what mm-hmm. sort of things have libertarian freedom? Personal agents do, minds do. Yeah. So the Kalam argument is not just an argument for God it's an argument for a mind independent of a body.
3: Right. And as far as we're concerned, as far as human beings are concerned, I like what JP Moreland says, the mind uses the brain to think, but other than that, the brain is just a bag of meat.
0: There you go. All right, let's keep going.
1: If he doesn't, then how is it he's able to possess knowledge? How does that work? exactly? Uh,
0: So if he doesn't have a physical brain, but he can, but he he can know things and, and, and that sort of thing, how does that work? Now, the problem here is, the simple answer is, I don't know. But you know what? I don't have to know how something works to know that it works. I don't know how my car works when I turn on the key. I mean, I basically kind of understand combustion and things like that, but I don't really know how my car works. I definitely really don't know how my computer works, but I'm using it right now to record this video. So You know that it works. I know that it works, and I can point to it as an explanation for how this video got onto YouTube, in part. But I don't know how it works. And until you can show me that there's some kind of a contradiction in God knowing things and having a mind independent of a brain, uh, then then I don't have to know I don't have to give you some kind of an explanation. It's not impossible. And it seems like that the evidence points to this considering the Kalam itself. So um, yeah, so I actually think that's a fair consideration about the brain. That's a, that's a fair question. In all of the Craig debates, and I've listened to all of them over the years when I was, when I was coming up, I, I only think I ever heard that objection come up once. So kudos to you, man, for raising it. But that's the explanation, along with everything that Dr. Pritchett said. It's also true that um, the argument also gives you that. It doesn't just give you God, it gives you God, who is a mind independent of a physical body.
1: And I don't pretend to be able to answer those questions right now, but they're certainly relevant for our consideration. Now what about infinite goodness? Must the first con-
0: I've never heard of anyone using the Kalam to argue for omnibenevolence. Now, I was talking with someone just two days ago who says that, the the, like again, there are some people in the journal articles who are arguing for the omnis based on the Kalam, but so far, I personally haven't heard of anyone arguing for omni benevolence with the Kalam. In fact, since we're talking about Craig, not only does Craig not do that, but I would say that's why Craig brings uh, the moral argument when he debates as well, is to get you the the goodness of God. Uh, But let's hear what he says about this thing that we're not trying to do
1: be infinitely good or morally perfect? And I think here even more clearly the answers are resounding no. We don't have resounding evidence that shows that whatever's in charge or whoever's in charge must be infinitely good. And here's why. In another set of discussions in the philosophy of religion, in the problem of evil discussions, there's an even more fundamental issue. There, people are asking this question. Given the quantity and distribution of apparently pointless suffering in the world, is it reasonable to think that there is possibly a good God? That is, over there, they're arguing over whether or not the uh, apparently pointless suffering we see in the world is compatible with God's existence. So it's an open question there, and some people are even arguing that there is no God on the basis of, uh, of all of the suffering. So would anyone suggest over here in the cosmological discussion, would anybody suggest seriously, given the quantity and distribution of suffering, that the only possible explanation is that there is an infinitely good, omnipotent being in charge?
3: Yeah, most of this discussion that, that, I mean, and probably the forthcoming response that you and I would make to this kind of thing, a lot of this discussion is The atheists have their set of complaints, and then we have our set of complaints about what the Kalam uh, cosmological argument does and does not give you. Right? Right. And since we're the ones bringing it, we should get to define that. Right. Um, That's why no one ever presents the Kalam in isolation, independent of other arguments. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's good to put it, you know, take it down off the shelf and examine it in and of itself and just talk about the Kalam, okay? But if you're bringing the Kalam, you already know what it does and does not give you and what you're willing to concede. Um, it does not give you an omni omnibene- It doesn't give you the God of Christianity. How many times have Christians oh, said Oh, just that? wait,
0: that's coming. Yeah. Because, but you mentioned so a moment ago... So we're not ago, talking about all the You mentioned a this. moment ago a uh, uh, red herring, and this uh, this has to be a red herring. Number one, we don't argue this which means this is a straw man
1: yeah
0: now you might say well yeah but he could have heard of christians who do you said there are some christians arguing for the omnis at the top of this video he says he's responding to william lane craig uh, and and the way he does it and the people that have responded to him craig does not use omnibenevolence. this is this is a straw man argument but on top of that it's a red herring because he's used it to go off about the uh, an argument from evil and the discussion about the argument from evil um, that's a relevant discussion to have we have videos on that on this channel But here, we're talking about the Kalam, and we're not trying to argue for omnibenevolence in the Kalam.
1: That is, cosmological arguments are trying to read off the properties of God from nature. Now, when we look at childhood leukemia, genocide, horrible natural disasters, warfare...
3: Now, you know what he's saying, because when you do the conceptual analysis, you're reading off from nature. That's kind of what we do. Well, if nature is matter, then the cause wouldn't have it. You know, if, they, mm-hmm. you know, if nature has time, then the cause wouldn't have it. All, all that. Fair point, except not moral categories. Yeah. Right? So we're, that's why you give something like the moral argument. So when you look around, as far as the Kalam is concerned, it could be an evil god, for all we know. But the amount of suffering, whether it's great and gratuitous or minimal is irrelevant to the Kalam cosmological argument itself. Right. So I just wanted that's to make right. that point, so. He, nice uh, try uh, sneaking in, plague, in there,
1: Child abuse and the like. Do all of those events then uh, indicate that whatever's going on here must be the product of infinite goodness? And I think the fact that that's at least controversial shows that the cosmological argument can't
3: read off goodness from nature. And no one ever did. That's right. At least in, except for whatever. journal Yeah, there may be some
0: people referring. out there trying yeah. to do that, but that's not what Craig's trying to do. Right. And frankly, to this point, I've never heard of anyone trying to do it with omnibenevolence. Right.
1: That is neither the Kalam argument nor any of the other common Kalum arguments,
0: and I don't think they can show that omnibenevolence. By the way, we're not doing this. To make him sound silly or anything this is just what happens on his video the audio distortion here points,
1: um, is one of the basis of the first cause or big bang reasoning all right so what are we doing here what's a way to summarize those three objections well think of it this way we're down here in the natural world we're considering this big bang cosmology issue scenario And on the basis of this argument, everything that begins has a cause. The universe began, therefore the universe had a cause. And now we're trying to engage in this philosophical conceptual reasoning to try to draw some inferences about what sort of cause must that be. Now, given the objections I've just outlined, it would appear that at a minimum, what might be justified by the Kalam argument is this. Some force or forces of unknown power possibly natural or supernatural, possibly conscious or possibly not, with indeterminate knowledge and moral properties, appears to have been responsible for the Big Bang.
0: Okay, now let's let's stop right here and unpack this. This is what he says the Kalam, what, what might be justified by the Kalam argument. Some force or forces. All right, so he wants to throw in there, for all you know, it could be a number of gods or a number of forces, but this is to violate Occam's razor. If you're saying we might be justified in saying there's some force that did this, or forces, you would use Occam's razor to call away the variables not necessary to, for the explanation, and only posit uh, the minimum thing that you have to to get it through. Okay. What he means to say by possibly natural or supernatural is what he means to say is if he's if he's arguing like the heroes that he's that, that I think he would have and people like Krauss and all others, is it could be that there is some other natural thing that caused our physical universe to come into existence. But understand that that is to misunderstand the scope of the Kalam. Even if there's a multiverse from which our, quote-unquote, local representation of the universe comes from, uh, the fact is the Kalam would apply to that multiverse, too. You're just kicking the can back up the street, as I've said many times on this channel, which means that you're ultimately—nature is what you're trying to explain. So whatever the cause is must be something that is— spaceless, timeless, and non-material. In other words, not nature. Uh, possibly conscious or possibly not. You're yeah, right. This all comes from the uh, conceptual analysis, but he's going to skip over that, so we're going to do it here. Conscious or not conscious? Well, we just gave you an argument when we were talking about brains, why it needs to be conscious. Um, with indeterminate knowledge, by which he means not omniscient. Not now, necessarily omniscient. How does omniscient.
3: that even follow from his own criticism, though? Because his own criticism was... Well, it needs to have uh, a mind with knowledge to be at least sufficient—not not omniscient, but at least sufficient knowledge to know how to do this. And now he's like, "No, it doesn't." Wait a minute! Wait a minute. Stick to your own. Analysis.
0: Yeah, you're saying that yeah. wouldn't be indeterminate. That would be at least sufficiently powerful, uh, wise to begin right. the universe. Right. So,
3: so yeah. Um, so so a non-conscious. A non-conscious something with indeterminate knowledge and moral properties. <laughs> okay, explain a non-conscious something or some things. Mm-hmm. No, and, and the moral thing. I'm again. sorry, his own his own analysis doesn't even lead him to to this because mm-hmm. that's just gibberish.
0: Yeah, and moral properties. Uh, again, we didn't argue that. Does a
3: corpse know th- stuff? No. Okay, does does that microphone know stuff? No. Okay, then what does he mean by possibly not conscious knowledge bearer?
0: Well, maybe he means by indeterminate knowledge, it could have no knowledge. He could mean that, I guess. It's indeterminate.
3: But, uh, so... That's giving him more credit than, than he offered us on this. So no, he's just trying to toss this stuff out there. So this enormously powerful pair of microphones that aren't conscious but know stuff might have done this.
0: Uh, and the moral properties we didn't even argue for right. appears to have been responsible. Now, here's what, I, because here's what I want you to see. The next thing that he's going to say is going to be what he doesn't think it gets you, that he thinks people like Craig... Think that it does get you and so what I see happening here well let's go ahead and let him talk for himself and then I'll, I'll explain
1: but of course what millions of Americans believe and what Craig believes is in an omni-god an omnipotent omniscient omnibenevolent God the God of Christianity the Christian God the almighty morally perfect creator of the universe who sent Jesus to humans for moral and spiritual salvation exists And even worse, 4 in 10 Americans are young earth creationists. The universe, the earth, and all life, they say, were created in their more or less present form approximately 10,000 years ago. So there's an enormous difference between what the Kalam argument or cosmological arguments seem to prove at a minimum, if we're being charitable, and what people actually believe. I'm going to call this the gap. The difference Mm. between what these arguments can reasonably show, even if we're... All
0: right, since you're chomping at the bit, what do you have to say?
3: Well, first off, he's like, okay, this Christian God that him and millions of people believe in. But worse than that, even worse than... So students of... uh, Well, I mean, it is California. Um, Probably, you know... 99.9% of his students wouldn't even be... uh, Notice that kind of comment because they're Californians. But Christians, look, it's, it's bad enough that some of you may end up in his class that this, that but it's even worse that they believe this stuff, but it's even worse that some of them are actually these young earth creationists. That's horrible. Horrible that there's the. Okay, so let's be fair. I mean, it's bad enough that there's three to 5% of our population that can't account for morality and think that life is meaningless and absurd. But worse than that, some of those people who claim that actually believe in God and heaven and casting spells. Yeah, Is that—I'm just being like him.
0: Yeah, so what what I think is interesting here is he has—you see where he has gap here. I'm so glad that he did that yeah. because it gives us an example, a visual example of what I think he's trying to do which is he's trying to push way up higher than what we claim that the Kalam shows way up into the stratosphere to where it seems silly when you look at it to think that that argument that is in the bottom left next to the guy um, gets you all those things. But we don't claim that it does. And then he's pushed down way lower than it should be what he thinks that it does get you. Um, and so what you're left with is an extreme exaggeration. Now, to demonstrate this point, you might say, yeah, but that is that on the top there. That is what people claim that it gets you. Well, remember, again, we're talking about William Lane Craig here. And just a while back uh, in, uh, uh, well, it's been a while ago, 2012, uh, Craig spoke at Biola University, your alma mater, Jonathan, yeah. and he gave this uh, talk that he titled Objections to the Cl- It's to the Kalam. Objections so bad I couldn't m- have made them up. And these are considered the worst objections to the Kalam cosmological argument. Interestingly, this video was posted on February the 2nd of 2012, while uh, uh, McCormick's video was posted on December 13th of 2013 which means that he could have seen this. And if he's gonna criticize Craig, you would think he would see, how does Craig respond to objections to the Kalam? Because maybe he's offered a fair response to some of these. Um, Let's hear what Craig has to say to this specific objection.
2: He merely complains that this cause hasn't also been shown to be omnipotent, omniscient, good, creative of design, Listening to prayers, forgiving sins, and reading innermost thoughts.
0: Now that that's what he's. Res- this is Craig sa- responding to what Dawkins has said. I think, but notice how similar that is to uh, the Christian God, Almighty, morally perfect Creator of the universe, who sent Jesus to uh, to humans for moral and spiritual salvation. That's similar to listening to prayers. You know all these kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, and 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 he and Craig is here responding to someone else who raised a very similar objection to that. So what does he say?
2: So what? The argument doesn't aspire to prove those things. It would be a bizarre form of atheism, indeed one not worth the name, that conceded that there exists an uncaused, beginningless, changeless, immaterial, timeless, spaceless, and unimaginably powerful personal creator of the universe who may, for all we know, also possess all the properties listed by Dawkins. Now, we needn't call the personal creator of the universe God if Dawkins finds this unhelpful or misleading, but the point remains that a being such as described must exist.
0: So, So, Craig is here saying exactly what we've been saying the whole time. You don't like omnipotence? You don't like omniscience? You don't like omnibenevolence? You don't like the idea that it answers prayer or offers salvation or whatever? The Kalam's not intended to get you those things.
3: Right. Listen to what people who present the Kalam say. Guess what, Braxton? This may come to a shock to a lot of people. Did you know that I'm not a Christian because of the Kalam cosmological argument? Oh,
0: man. Well, that we've got a criticism coming from the good professor for you in just a few moments. Uh, but be charitable, charitable
1: and what people, in fact, believe that is to say that omnipotence, omniscience, omnibenevolence, personal, singular, conscious. Those are all properties that are under determined. By-
0: OK, now, look, he says this is what people want, that it doesn't get you omnipotence, omniscience, omnibenevolence. We've already said it's not trying to do that. Uh, personal, singular, and conscious—well, singular, if he means by that, not a multiplicity of, of forces or gods. We've already said Occam's razor handles that. Uh, personal and conscious, we've already explained that when he was asking about the brain and uh, or pontificating about the brain, and we were explaining uh, that it has to have libertarian freedom. So— uh, Yeah, again, I think you see on the top of the screen, he's pushed things way far up beyond what we claim it gets you and pushed the bottom down way far below uh, what it does get you. Right. Here's what I'm going to do.
3: I'm going to debunk the Kalam cosmological argument, and I'm going to address criticisms that have no purchase on it whatsoever because the Kalam has nothing to do with everything I'm going to complain about, and boom, the Kalam's false.
0: That's what he's doing here. Remember this when you next time you hear someone say or next time you as an atheist say the Kalam has been debunked so many times remember what this full professor from California State University um yeah so interesting when people say it's debunked remember here's a full professor and this is your debunking interesting by cosmological arguments
1: okay now can God be infinite in these arguments? Do cosmological arguments have this implication? If we can show, if we argue that actually infinite things are impossible, but we also hold the view that God is actually infinite, then now we've got the implication that God is impossible. But that can't be what the cosmological well, advocate wants. They don't want to show that God's impossible. They just want to show that an infinite universe is impossible. So you've got this problem with infinity. What exactly is the problem with infinity such that the universe can't have it but God can? And I'm going to call this the six in one, half a dozen and the other problem. Cosmological arguments must reject an infinite universe but accept an infinite God. Now how can you do that on a consistent rational basis without Ad hoc justifications—that is, saving a cherished conclusion from an objection with a special unjustified assumption, or special pleading, insisting that a claim is exempt from a general principle without justifying the exemption.
3: I mean, you can't. Okay, this is great because because this is what you would call a false dichotomy in an um, elementary gen ed level philosophy course, right? Because it's not a six in one, half a dozen in the other problem. Uh, what his problem actually is, is what is also in a very uh, introductory basic logic course you would call an equivocation problem. So if you don't make his equivocation fallacy on the word infinite, none of this means anything. Not that we're claiming that that uh, the Kalam gives you an infinite God, right? Mm-hmm. That That's... That could be inferred, but it's not the claim of, you mm-hmm. know in uh, any case because what he is confu- because in the same way that that we're talking about um, omnipotence or omni in that kind of infinite sense the omni because that's just the maximal, maximal. Um, because what he's doing is he is taking the objection to a quantitatively infinite cosmos, which means mm-hmm. you stack one on top of another on top of another, mm-hmm. uh, and he's confusing it with. When people talk about God is infinite in all of his perfections or infinite in all of his attributes, they mean maximal. What they mean is maximal or qualitatively mm-hmm. infinite. Like he doesn't run out. Not that you stack more on more on top of another in right, a right. numerical sequence, which the objection to an infinite cosmos is a numerical sequence infinitely into the past. They're two different. So it's not special pleading and it's not ad hoc justification, it is a basic blunder from, yes, California, uh, but still a professor of uh, philosophy. Yeah, the the thing is,
0: we would say, I would argue, that the past cannot be uh, infinite, Uh, that the universe cannot have an actual infinite past. And also in the comments, if you say this without uh, my, without pointing out that I'm saying this now, it will mean that that person that makes such a post did not watch the video. And that is that... uh, I've heard it many times. In fact, Dylan Hunt, raised it in our debate. Well, how could your God be uh, past infinite? We don't claim that our God is past infinite. We don't claim that time is past infinite. We claim that God is timeless, and, and he created the universe, and time began. We don't say, okay, the universe is past infinite, but God's infinite, and mean the same thing. Well, when, people, when Christians talk about God being infinite, which, by the way, doesn't have anything to do with the Kalam, But when Christians talk about God being infinite, they mean maximal, maximally great, like you said, qualitatively. And when we're talking about the past infinite universe, we're talking about an actual past series of temporal moments or causal events. And yeah, we're saying that's not possible. Uh, But when we're talking about God, we're not saying God is past infinite. We're saying that God is timeless, sans creation. And those are completely different things. It's just... I mean, just watch, just watch him explain the kalam. Watch Craig explain yeah. the kalam. You know,
3: and if you think about why he objects to an infinite in the past universe, in the same breath he talks about spaceless, timeless, immaterial. He always covers that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're so going to jump to the he, end here. Yeah, and how uh, did he get to this problem? But this, to my mind. Um, this to my mind is probably the biggest blunder on the whole video because you're going to hear him say that this is what does he say
3: this here,
0: what? i'd
1: like to consider uh, perhaps the most serious objection
0: seems to- he says this is the most serious objection to the kalam cosmological argument this is the most serious objection bear that in mind and i'm wondering if some of you out there and i'm not trying to be rude to this guy i'm not trying to be a jerk the thing about it is I want to know if some of you who have never taken a philosophy class can spot the problem with this. It seems to come
1: from Craig himself. When Craig is asked uh, for response to a question about how to deal with doubt or criticisms of one's reasons for believing
2: in God, he has this. First of all, I think that I would tell them that they need to understand the proper relationship between faith and reason. And my view here is that the way in which I know Christianity is true is first and foremost on the basis of the witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And that this gives me a self-authenticating means of knowing that Christianity is true wholly apart from the evidence. And therefore, if in historically contingent circumstances, the evidence that I have available to me should turn against Christianity. I don't think that controverts the witness of the Holy Spirit. In such a situation, I should result re, uh, regard that as simply a result of the contingent circumstances that I'm in and that if I were to pursue this with uh, due diligence and with time, I would discover that, in fact, the evidence, if I could get the correct picture, would support exactly what the witness of the Holy Spirit tells me. This is really a quite remarkable thing that Craig says
1: here. He knows that Christianity is true wholly apart from the evidence. And what he said is that he is going to subordinate reason to that article of faith. Now, we were taking the Kalam argument to be an appeal to the evidence to prove that God exists. We were trying, and I thought Craig was trying, but we were trying to figure out what caused the universe. But it turns out that what Craig is up to is something very different despite it looking like he's after the same answer. So. Imagine that we conduct an investigation into all of the evidence we have, we're open to any possible outcome, we gather all of the relevant evidence in as objective and fair and um, uh, broad a way possible. And then we apply the canons of deductive and inductive logic and we draw the conclusion that is then indicated by that evidence. So that's a fair and unbiased investigation where we're Uh, neutral with regard to what conclusion is the outcome. And it would have appeared that the Kalam argument was that sort of inquiry. But here we've realized now that what Craig's actually doing is something very different. Craig already believes the conclusion. He is determined to subordinate reason to that. He believes it wholly apart from the evidence. And what he's actually engaged in is a search for evidence or a construction of argument that must be driven or directed by the conclusion that he's, he's already accepted prior. That is, Craig admits that he won't allow that any evidence could possibly count against his faith. Reason is subordinate to faith so craig won't countenance any argument or evidence that doesn't corroborate his theism he's not prepared to consider any of that so f- for example take all of the objections that i've just listed off in the sad, past several slides now craig has and will object vocifer- vociferously to all of those objections and he'll maintain that his argument is still sound but now something's different has happened something different has happened in the way we should treat his argument because it looks like Craig has disqualified the Kalam argument from serious rational consideration given his prior commitment to one and only one conclusion. Despite it's looking like he's playing the same game as those of us who are trying to figure out what the cause of the universe is, he's not. Craig's playing by only one game where the rules all and only end up with the outcome that God exists. And that's very different than an objective, broad-based, unbiased search for evidence and an ob- objective, unbiased contemplation of the arguments that might support um, the uh, support theism.
0: Yeah, the thing the thing about it is, why does Craig, why is Craig's intention? How does Craig's intentions have any bearing on the soundness of the argument? Uh, in fact what I'm gonna say is just gonna replicate what he's gonna say so let's just go back to Craig
2: objection number one Craig says that he believes in God on the basis of the self-authenticating witness of the Holy Spirit in his heart not on the basis of the Kalam cosmological argument in fact he says that even if the argument were refuted he would still believe in God this is blatant hypocrisy On Craig's part.
0: Listen close.
2: Response to objection number one. The problem with this objection is that even if I were a hypocrite uh, there's just no relationship between the soundness of an argument and the psychological state of the person propounding it. The objector is thus guilty of putting forth a textbook example of an argument ad hominem. That is to say, trying to invalidate a position by attacking the character of the person who defends it. So what does make for a sound deductive argument? The answer is true premises and valid logic. True premises and valid logic. An argument is sound if the premises of the argument are true and the conclusion follows from the premises by the rules of logic. The soundness of the Kalam cosmological argument is thus entirely independent of me. The argument was, after all, defended by the medieval Muslim theologian al Ghazali 1,000 years before I was born. If the argument is sound, it was sound then. If the argument is sound, it was sound during the Jurassic period, before anyone had propounded it. My Alleged hypocrisy just has nothing to do with the soundness of the argument.
0: So Craig here just kind of gives us basically what we've been saying, which is, and I hope anyone out there who is uh, a reasonable person who's never had philosophy would understand this, that, look, um, whether, whatever my intentions are doesn't affect the soundness of the argument. And that's a pretty important point. So we come to the end of this thing, and I think what we've got so, uh, here— of
3: all, his most serious one is actually fallacious because his argument ad hominem. Oh, yeah. It really has let's, to let's go back. I
0: want, people to see. Whatever to do with... I want people to see that this is— So I want people to see here that he says this is the most serious objection to Craig's argument. The calm cosmological argument has been debunked. If the most serious criticism— that a full professor brings to the Kalam cosmological argument is that Craig would be a Christian anyway, then the soundness of the Kalam has not even been touched. And let's recall that um, much of what he brought against the Kalam isn't even what the Kalam is intended to get you to. So what I'm hoping you all get out of this is that uh, on the U- at the YouTube level, it's not uncommon for me to say things like, With historical jesus studies or whatever else that look um at the academic level this just we don't see these blunders as often and we don't but they do happen and i don't i'm not this is the reason why i'm saying i'm I'm, at the beginning of this video that this does upset me i grant pritchett said are you upset by yeah i'm upset by this not uh, not mad at matt mccormick but upset that there are students who are going to listen to this and hear a misconstrued uh, representation of william lynn craig's argument or uh, his you know the argument that he champions, and they're going to think, oh, that's ridiculous. And then when they get on YouTube, they're going to make videos and things like that and say, well, the Kalam's been debunked. When it hasn't been debunked, what we've heard here is that it doesn't get you to the omnis and that Craig's personal feelings affect the nature of reality. And none of those things have anything directly to do with the Kalam. Um, So this is illustrative, and I hope that people take that away. Pritchett, you have anything to say before we go? Um,
3: well, other than just, I know what you mean. You're saying it doesn't happen as much, but part of the problem that I have is that when these kind of basic blunders do happen at the academic level, um, more so with secular and even more so secular university professors in California in particular, it's a California problem, but when, when you say that, that's why I think, because listening to people like this, listening to p- people like Krauss, that's why that stuff filters into the YouTube comment section and uh, non credentialed YouTube videos saying, I've debunked the Kalam and everyone else has debunked the Kalam and it's long debunked when you haven't even really seriously addressed it. Or you make similar, but maybe not the same, logical fallacies, kind of like uh, what do you mean exposed in a video about someone's wrong-headed objections to the Kalam in the past it's just they've got to do better one by listening to what we're saying it does get us to and what it doesn't get us to you don't we don't need you to do that we do that enough that's why that's why we don't base our Christianity on the Kalam cosmological argument right it's one of several arguments to get you to God and there's other reasons to be a Christian than just the Kalam or even arguments for theism in general yeah right so but if you're going to pick on this one, pick on it rightly, not train wrecks like we saw here.
0: Yeah, and it should be said about this "holy apart from evidence" thing that Craig says. Craig has uh, been very open about. Um, Craig has been very open about the idea that he believes um, in, it's by the witness of the Holy Spirit, as he says here, that he knows Christianity is true. It's through arguments and evidences that he shows that Christianity is true. So, again, uh, you know, if you're going to critique someone, I would think you would need to be more familiar with how that person uses his arguments and what his arguments are. And
3: plus, Craig is a Christian. He believes Christian things like the Holy Spirit. You know what? When I became a Christian, I don't think it had anything to do with arguments and evidence for it either. That doesn't make the arguments and evidence out of serious consideration because I have other... Reasons for believing right. Christianity is true. That's right. So yeah, this is just this was a disaster. I agree. You know, it's like the atheists. I'm going to pick on the atheists again. It's like, oh, y'all keep making YouTube videos, and atheism's going to win. No, wrong. Sorry, you guys keep putting out video like this, and Christianity wins hands down. Yep. Yep. All right. So uh, see, I can chest thump too because that's the that's yeah. the YouTube thing, and right? I'm going to leave the it in. Thump.
0: Yep. All right. So um, we're going to listen if you like what we're doing in responding to atheism on the internet uh you can uh, we we have people that have come to christ through this uh stuff that we do and uh, god uses it and uh we we want you to be a part of that and so if you're willing to support what we're doing then click in the top right hand corner of the screen or if you're listening by audio go to patreon.com trinity radio and help us out if you're the kind of person that would buy us a cup of coffee once a month if you were around then uh, you can do that, basically. You spend about that same amount of money to support what we're doing each month. And uh, we really appreciate that. You don't get any, spe- like, your dreams won't come true. Um, you won't get any special wishes. Uh, there, there's no, you there's don't no get free sins in, and holy water from yeah, the. Yeah, there's nothing like Israel. that. Yeah. Um, I, we won't become personally wealthy. Uh, we're not lying to you or promising you anything, except that it will help make this show better.
3: Yeah, he spends all of our patron money on stuff that makes this work, whether it's software or lots of hardware or you know new cameras that you can't they can't see. Uh, certainly, the final product demonstrates, and because uh, I can tell, and I'm not that savvy, on, but I can tell the level of quality uh, production value wise has. Increased over oh, the yeah. past year, and so that all that money is going to that um, more so than it is the subway sandwiches I buy for us. That's
0: right. All right, and with that, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.